God, we lean into that today. That you are faithful. You will never let us down. You will always come through. You will never leave us nor forsake us. God, I know there are people in here today who getting those words out, you are good, you are good, you're never going to let us down, is hard, is really, really hard. But this morning we sing in faith of your faithfulness. We sing in belief that you will come through whatever we are facing. Whether we are facing sickness, whether we are facing death, whether we are facing the loss of a job, whether we are facing family relationships that are breaking up, whether we are facing people in our life who are not turning out the way they thought we would see them turn out. God, whatever we are facing, we believe that you are faithful, that you are true, that you are good, and that you will come through. And God, we claim that, claim that now for those whose lives are in danger on the sanctity of human life weekend. God, we claim your faithfulness, your goodness, and your trueness. We know that you are faithful to the end. We believe it to be true. And so, God, would you be faithful to those who right now have no power over their life? God, I pray that you would stir up your church to care about the lives of the vulnerable and the weak. That you would stir up your church to be as faithful as you are to those who are unable to take care of themselves. God, would we be that church? Would you make us into that church? By your grace, by your power at work within us, God, we look to you. And we know, we know that your spirit is at work. And so would your spirit come this morning. We pray that your word would come to life in this place. God, that we would understand your truth. That we would understand the freedom that we have that has been won for us. And we may walk in it this morning. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the power of sin. By the power and in the name of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray and everyone who agreed said, Amen. 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 You can grab a seat. Well, thanks for, for coming this morning. It's great to have you all here. You, your voices were sounding beautiful this morning. I love it. I love it when you guys sing out. That just it's, it's incredible to hear the people of God in unison declaring truths about who God is. Incredibly powerful. Um, my name's Ellis. If you don't know me, I'm a pastor here at, at Chapel Hill. And... I, I was thinking this week, and I, I think with respect to this, this one thing I'm going to talk about, there, there are two types of people in the world, and I just I wanted to take a straw poll and see, see how many of each type we, we have in the room. So, so there's some people who, when they get a new product or a new gadget or something like that, they, they get the instruction manual out, maybe even before they've, they've, take, they've touched, touched the thing that, that they've got, and they start to read it line by line, and then they put the thing together line by line, and they follow the instructions exactly as it says. Is there anyone here? this morning like that yeah 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 good good and then then there are these other people (sighs) poor souls that they are they just grab the thing and they start putting stuff together and poking it and who is this dude (laughs) anyone here like that you want to admit it oh dear I'm outnumbered (laughs) I better be worried after our ill-fated trip to England, my wife and I bought a new kitchen gadget. We bought a soda stream. Anyone got a soda stream? Yeah, like six people. Great. If you don't know what a soda stream is, 
it, uh, it takes a CO2 canister and you use it to carbonate water that comes out of your faucet. And uh, it's great. I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying it. But as I was purchasing it online, I was met with all these warnings about how dangerous this CO2 canister is. Like, this thing can explode, it can blow off your head, like it can kill your children, that kind of stuff, all right? And so uh, I ordered it online, and I'm tracking the delivery with UPS and just making sure it didn't blow up the UPS van or something like that. And it arrived safely, uh, got delivered during the day I was out. I came home that night, and, uh, and my wife had put it together, which was great. Until she said this, I hope I did it right. <laughs> you hope? Did it right? It's, it's, it's going to explode! So I said to her, well, did you follow the instructions? She said, well, no, I just kind of shoved it together. Red alert! Red alert! Everyone on the floor, get down! It's going to blow! More on that later. Um, we are in the middle of a series, kind of nine-month-long series, on one of Paul's letters. Paul was one of the, the early church leaders, and he wrote a letter to the church in Rome. And we've been studying this this year. Last two weeks, we've been looking at chapter six. Pastor Mark has preached to us, and he's he's taught us about how, because of what Jesus has done. We have been united to him in his death, and we have died to sin. We've been set free from sin, and we are no longer slaves to it. Instead of being slaves to sin, we are now slaves to righteousness. That was the message we heard last week. A great message, and it left me uh, kind of going, all right, that's, uh, that's right, that's, that's what I am, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm like, right, how do I do that? How do I do it? Now for Paul, Paul was... Paul was a Jew, and then he came to know Jesus, so he became a Jewish believer. But for Paul and Jews who were like Paul, if if you'd have come to them and said, you need to be a slave to righteousness, they would have known exactly what they had to do. They would have known, that means I need to obey the law. If If you're not familiar what the law is, it's a set of commandments, 613 commandments that we find in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the Jews believed if they followed the law, if they did what the law said, they could attain righteousness. They could attain right living. And we may think, wow, 613, that's impossible, right? How could you ever do that? But actually, for the Jews, they believed this was possible, that they could actually attain those 613 commandments. But... Paul is going to break out another implication of the gospel to these Jewish believers. And it's one that's going to kind of rock their world. They're not really going to know how to deal with this. You know, it'd be a bit like someone coming to me and saying, Hey, Ellis, you know that instruction manual for your soda stream? Yeah, it doesn't apply anymore. Just doesn't apply. I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't apply? That doesn't make any sense. Like, it's the instruction manual. It's how you put the thing together, how it works. How can it not apply? And that's the message that Paul is going to bring to the Jews in this chapter that we're about to read. The law doesn't apply anymore. In fact, there's a better way to live than the law. And Paul is going to show that to them. So we're in Romans 7. I'd love you to grab a Bible or a phone. If you don't have a Bible or a phone, then I'm highly skeptical that you're telling the truth. Because everyone has a phone these days. 
Uh, it will be on the screens if you don't know, so we're going to be nice to you anyway. But we're in Romans 7, first few verses of this chapter. I'm going to read them to you now. Or do you not know, brothers, or it could be brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she's free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, Paul's going to make a comparison here. He's used an image, and he's going to make a comparison with the people of God's relationship to the law. Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, many of you know my mom, and you know that she was recently widowed. A couple of years ago, my dad passed away. And while my dad was still alive, my mom was bound by law to be married to my dad. If, if she chose to go off and enter into a relationship with another person, that would be called adultery. But my dad died, and so now my mom has been released from this marriage, and she is free to enter into a relationship with another person. Paul says the very same thing is true about the people of God in relation to the law, okay? The people of God were at one point bound to the law. But now the people of God have died with Christ, and therefore they've been released from the law so that they can belong to another, to Jesus. This is verse 4. Take a look again. Likewise, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. Who is that other? To him who's been raised from the dead. That is Jesus Christ. Before Christ, the people of God were subject to the law, but now they've died with Christ, so they can belong to another. Just like my mom was married to my dad, but since he died, she is now free to belong to another. We are no longer, as the people of God, subject to the law. We've been released from it. So we can be united instead to Christ. Last couple of weeks we've been hearing Paul talk about how we've, we've died to sin. When the same way he's saying we've died to the law. Saying we're no longer slaves to sin. He's saying the same thing about the law. We're no longer slaves to the law. We've been released from it. We're no longer bound to obey it. Now, this was radical for those early Christians, because many of them were Jewish believers. They'd grown up obeying the law. They'd grown up believing this was the way to attain righteousness. And so for Paul to come along and preach this gospel and and make this implication was kind of crazy for them. They didn't really know what to do with this. And they would have had a lot of questions, like, why? Why, Paul? Why why is this possible? And, like, wasn't the law given by God? And, And isn't the law good? This doesn't make sense to us. Anyone played Clue, the board game Clue, 
We, we call it Cluedo in the UK because we're kind of like, it's a play on words. We kind of do this stuff in the UK because we're a bit like uppity. Right? Ludo is the Latin word for I play. So we smash it together with clue and it's Cluedo. That's kind of how we are. <laughs> if you're not familiar with the game, it is a murder mystery game. Someone's been killed. Mr. Black has been killed. And as a player, you have to determine who was the murderer, what was the weapon they used, and which room in the house did they commit the murder in. And what's interesting in the game for me is the weapons. Can anyone, why don't you shout out some of the, the six original weapons in the game? The rope, the lead pipe, the, the revolver, the wrench, the, the candlestick, and the knife. Right, six weapons. All right, of those six, really only the revolver is intended to harm another being. Okay, the, uh, the knife could go either way. All right, so, so we'll get, even if we give the knife over there, still four out of six are not intended to harm someone. They're just tools that are meant for another purpose. But here's the thing, in the game of Clue, these tools are taken and they are used for a sinful purpose. These tools are used as a murder weapon. Paul says the same thing about the law. The law was a tool that was used by our sin as a murder weapon to kill us. Take a look at verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Paul says, when we were captive to sin, when we were controlled by sin, when we were slaves to sin, sin took the law, okay, which was a tool meant for something else, like this candlestick, it's meant for something else. Sin took the law and it bludgeoned us to death. It killed us. That is what Paul is saying in this passage. Sin used the law to kill us. You know, in the game of Clue, it might have been Mrs. White in the kitchen with the candlestick. Right? (laughs) But in the game of life, it was our sinful passions in our body with the law. Our sin used the law to kill us. But Paul carries on in verse 6. He says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We've been released from the law because we died with Christ. We've been released from the power of sin, but we've also been released from the law. We serve in the new way of the Spirit. Now, this is, this is kind of crazy, as I said, to the Jews. And so they've got some objections. They, they, they want to push back on Paul a little bit, and they want to ask some questions. So there are two of them in this passage that Paul addresses. And the first of them comes up in verse 7. Take a look with me. What then shall we say that the law is sin? So the Jews are pushing back and saying, hey, Paul, doesn't that make the law sin? Doesn't that make the law bad? And Paul says, absolutely not. The law is not sin. In fact, in verse 12, he says it's holy and righteous and good. But just like in Clue, we wouldn't say the candlestick is bad. In fact, we'd probably say the candlestick is good. You know, I put that on a table. I put a candle on it. It brings light to the room. It's a good tool, right? We wouldn't call it bad. Well, Paul says the same thing about the law. The law's not bad, 
But what's happened is our sin has taken the good tool of the law and used it for a sinful purpose. It's used it as a murder weapon. And it's bludgeoned us to death. Verse 11, take a look at it. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, that is through the law, deceived me and through it, through the law, killed me. Is the law sin? Is the pushback from the Jewish believers? Paul says, no, the law is not sin. The law is good. But our sin has taken this good tool and used it as a murder weapon. That's the first objection they have. They have another one. They're still not happy. They're still pushing back on him. And so they say in verse 13, well, doesn't that mean that the law killed us? Doesn't that mean that the law killed us? Have a look at verse 13. Did that which is good then, that is the law, did that which is good bring death to me? And Paul says, absolutely not. The law didn't kill you. Sin killed you. Just like in the game of Clue, we wouldn't say that the candlestick killed Mr. Black, right? We don't attribute the murder to the candlestick. We attribute the murder to Mrs. White in the kitchen, In the same way, we don't attribute to the law the status of killer, the status of being the one to bring about the death. No, it was our sinful passions within us taking the law and using the law as a murder weapon to kill us. That is what Paul says. Are you tracking with me? How are you you doing? I mean, this this is kind of complicated stuff, right? Powerful stuff too. The... To summarize, you know, my mom was married to my dad when my dad died, and she's been released from that marriage, so she can belong to another. The people of God were united to the law, but they died with Christ, so they've been released from that, so that they can unite with Christ. And why has that taken place? Why has that taken place? Because our sin took the law and used it as a murder weapon. The good law, a good tool, and used it for a sinful purpose to kill us. And through all of this, Paul is making a very important point. And the point is this. The law cannot deliver us from sin's power. The law cannot deliver us from sin's power. A few years ago, I got to visit a man in the hospital who was, uh, he was dying. He was an alcoholic, and he was there and his liver was shutting down. Some of his other bodily uh, organs and functions were shutting down. And I got the opportunity to go uh, meet with him. He knew that the reason he was dying was because he kept drinking. He knew that. He knew that if he stopped drinking, he would extend his life. That was kind of his law, in a sense. He knew the law. The law was don't drink. But yet, there were these sinful passions within him that were waging war against the law that he knew. And they were overtaking his desire to do what is right. He was overcome by these sinful passions. He was being held captive to sin and he couldn't get out. Sadly, a few weeks later, that man was killed by his drinking. His body completely shut down. Now, it's easy to see this this sort of thing going on in the life of an addict. But Paul says, actually, 
This was his experience too. This was his experience. In the rest of this chapter, he talks about how he wanted to obey the law, but he found that every time he tried to do that, sin was at hand, and it, and it took him captive and overpowered him and prevented him from doing what he knew was the right thing to do. Have a look at verses 18 and 19. Paul writes this, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul says he's, he's caught in this struggle between these two powers, okay? He's got on one hand this, this desire to obey the law, to do what is right, but on the other hand, he's got his sinful passions, and they're at war with one another. And Paul says, in the end, his sin won out. Verse 23, he says, he became captive to sin. He became a prisoner of sin. Now, a little aside here. There's, there's a big debate about whether Paul is writing here about his experience as a Christian or whether he's writing here about his experience as a Jew before he came to know Jesus. Okay, and I did some study this week and um, let me give you some advice. It's never a good idea to come to the opposite conclusion of your boss. All right? But I came to the opposite conclusion of my boss, and I asked his permission to preach it, and he's going to let me. So I believe that Paul here is talking about his life as a Jew before he came to know Jesus. All right? And the reason I believe is a couple of reasons. There, there are more, and it's not as clear-cut as I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it sound better than it is. But the, the two reasons I want to give you is when he says in verse 23 that he's captive to sin, that that is, that is kind of the end result Okay, that flies in complete conflict with what he wrote in chapter 6, that we've been freed from sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. So if he's now captive to sin, that makes me believe he must be writing about before he came to Jesus. The other reason is, in this passage, he's trying to obey the law, and yet he just told us that as followers of Jesus, we've been released from the law. So why is Paul trying to obey the law? That doesn't make sense. So these, these are the two reasons I think he's talking about his life before Jesus, but there are... It's legitimate to look at it the other way. And the, the biggest reason to do that is Paul's writing in the present tense. He says, I desire to do what is right, but I can't do it. He's, he's writing in the now. So, so there's, there's difficulty interpretation there. But if, I'm, if we're being really honest, it actually doesn't make a big difference about the main point that Paul is trying to drive home here. Because his main point is that the law doesn't have the power to defeat sin. The law cannot deliver us from sin's power. Okay, the law is a good tool, right? It's a good tool. But it's been used for a sinful purpose. The law has not shown itself to be powerful enough to defeat sin. Just like for that alcoholic man. He knew the law was don't drink, but that was not powerful enough in and of itself to defeat his addiction to alcohol. We cannot look to the law to deliver us from sin. Only Jesus, only Jesus can do that. And that's the conclusion Paul comes to in verses 24 and 25. This is what he says. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The law can't do it. The law can't get rid of the power of sin in our life, but Jesus can. And church, here's the good news Jesus has. Jesus has got rid of the power of sin in our lives. 
When Jesus died on the cross, sin was nailed to the cross with him. The sin, the power of sin was disarmed in that moment. Sin no longer has dominion over those who believe in Jesus. We have been transferred from that kingdom, from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of sin, and we've been moved into God's kingdom, the kingdom of light. We belong to another. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been raised to new life in and through the death of Jesus Christ. And that is the good, good news. But here's the bad news. We keep going back. We keep going back and trying to use rules and regulations and and laws and checklists. And we keep going back to that and believing that that's going to help us live into the freedom that's been won for us. And the truth is that it doesn't. I struggle with sin. I hope you all struggle with sin too. Otherwise, this will be a very honest confession. That one of the sins I've struggled with is taking care of my body. Okay? Um, I don't know if when I first arrived, many of you might remember, I kind of ballooned up a little bit, a little bit bigger. 267 pounds was my, was my maximum. And um, I believe God has called us to take care of our bodies. That Corinthians says, Paul writes in Corinthians, that they are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I believe that this is part of our duty to God. And I tried over the years to shed weight, to get healthy. I tried all sorts of things. Maybe you've tried them too. Anyone use MyFitnessPal on their phone? Yeah, to track calories. Yeah, I tried that. Um, uh, couch to 5K. Anyone done one of them? On the, again, on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Great tools. Okay, great tools. P90X. Anyone P90X? Did P90X? That's fantastic. Good tool. But here's what I found, right? I made these kind of rules or laws for myself. I said, look, I'll do this. I'll track calories. I'll do couch 5K. I'll do P90X. And it worked until I ran out of steam. And then I went back to all my old habits and all my old behaviors and stopped taking care of myself. You know, these, these, these rules that I was trying to follow, these checklists, these laws, it, it didn't have the power to get rid of my sinful nature. It didn't have the power to do that. Maybe January 21st, you're looking at your New Year's resolutions that you made and you're thinking, wow, uh, I didn't, that wasn't really a resolution, was it? Maybe you're looking at your life and you're going, I'm, that wasn't where I hoped I'd be January 21st. But four years ago, I was, I was praying about something else. I was actually praying about how, how can I develop relationships with people beyond these walls. You know, as a pastor, that's quite difficult. And, and so I, I was praying, God, would you, would, would you help me to do that? And I felt like um, God, God's spirit led me and, and said to me, I, I want you to join the Y and I want you to start going to a boot camp class. Okay? And I didn't do this in order to be healthy in my body. Like that wasn't my goal. My goal was I wanted to be led by the spirit to develop relationships with others. But I, but I went and, and I had this realization this week as I look back on the last four years of my life I realized that that for four years, I've not struggled at all with that sin in the past of not taking care of my body. For, For four whole years, I can't think of a period of time of longer than a few months in the previous 25 years of my life when I didn't struggle with that. But for four years, 
I've been free from it. And I didn't obey a set of checklists or a set of rules. I, I said, God, what do you want me to do in order to reach, to make friends with people outside the church? And he said, do this. And through the, the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I ended up in a place where I'm free from this sin that I struggle with. Verse 6. We're going to go back to verse 6 and we're going to land here. This is what verse 6 says. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. Paul says we don't have to obey the law. That is not the call of the people of God, but we are called to obey the Spirit. That God has, instead of giving us a written code, written his law on our hearts. He has given us his Spirit to guide us into righteousness. Let's go back to the soda stream. Rachel didn't follow the instruction manual. She used her intuition. And actually, in some ways, not always, but in some ways, our intuition is a little bit like the guidance of the Spirit, except our intuition is often wrong. In this case, though, it wasn't wrong. Our soda stream has not blown up. Our children have not died. And it works just great. I was enjoying soda water yesterday afternoon. Very often, when we listen to the Spirit, when we are led by the Spirit, when we are guided by the Spirit, we are led to do exactly what the law says. Rachel was led to put together that soda stream machine in exactly the right way, according to the instruction manual, without looking at the instruction manual. And I believe the Spirit of God works in the same way in our lives that he guides us and leads us into righteousness. He shows us the way to live. And very often the way to live is going to be the same as what's written down in the law. Because the law is good. The law is holy. And the law is righteous. But here's what the Spirit has that the written law doesn't have. The Spirit has power. The Spirit has power. Because the Holy Spirit is the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Is the same Spirit that brought the dead back to life. And that is the Spirit that lives in us. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin in our life. But if we keep going back to checklists and rules and regulations and our own self-discipline, we cannot defeat sin because there is no power there. There is no power in the law. The power is in the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living in us. And so this morning, if you're here and, and you're struggling with an area in your life, an area of sin, whatever it might be, whether it's the same as I've struggled with, with my body, maybe it's, a, maybe it's sexual impurity or, or, or viewing pornography, maybe you're struggling with anxiety, Maybe you're struggling with a substance abuse. Maybe, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's just your New Year's resolutions. You resolve to do something and it's not worked. I want you to, to think this morning and ask yourself, how, how am I trying to overcome this? Am I relying on myself? Am I relying upon a checklist or, or a, a human method? Because if you are, there is no power in that to overcome sin in your life. 
It's the power. The power comes in being united to Christ and receiving his Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us and empower us to overcome sin and live into the freedom that Jesus won for us in his death and in his resurrection. So this morning, as we close, the band are going to come back up and we're going to take a moment to just listen to the Spirit. Listen to what that might be for us, what we might need to do differently, where we've been placing our trust in the wrong things and where we need to place them instead in Jesus. Let's pray together. Take some time. Father, we are sorry for where we have looked to the law or to rules or regulations or couch to 5K or whatever it is, God, where we've looked to those things and believed that's going to set us free from sin. God, we're sorry. We're sorry that we've, we've turned these, these good things into ultimate things. We're sorry that we've made idols out of them. And God, I pray this morning that you would draw to mind what those things are. God, that your, your, your spirit would be convicting us of where we've looked to those things. You, God, that you have set us free from the power of sin. That you have won the decisive victory once and for all in your death and in your resurrection. God, I pray, I ask that you would fill us with your spirit, God. That we may be empowered to live in the victory that you have won. And not in the defeat we so often return to by looking to the law. God, would you pour out your spirit on us this morning? Would you lead us into righteousness? Would you guide us, Lord, to right living? And would you empower us by your spirit to do it? God, thank you that there is a better way. Would we live into that? Would we not be like the world? Would we be like those who have been united to another? And will we experience the fruit of that? God, in our lives and in the lives of others. And God, we know if that's going to happen, we need to be wholly devoted to you. We need to give ourselves entirely to you. And so this morning, if there are things that we need to confess or hand over to you, we give them over to you now. We say, take them, Lord. Destroy that sin in our lives and pour in your spirit. And God, as a sign of our devotion to you, we bring you money. And God, we ask that you would take it and you would use it, that many, many more people would come to know freedom from sin in their life. That there is a power greater than the written code, the power of the Holy Spirit of God, who can give them new life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.